Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You really should be focused when everybody's scared and everybody's puking their crypto, their ETH and Bitcoin. You should be thinking, now's the time to accumulate it. And I learned this the hard way. The big lesson, even for me, who's been in financial markets for 30 odd years, is when you've got an asset that trends so strongly and is so volatile, these sell-offs are your friend unless something fundamentally changes with the story. And we don't see that. Business Casual. Welcome, Raul, to Business Casual. We're excited to have you on. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. (laughs) So before we get into our conversation about crypto, I would like to start with an icebreaker. This is called OG Occupations. So Raul, what was your very first job, your OG occupation? My OG occupation was customer support to a business that was very much like Bloomberg. That was my graduate training job. I came out of university, did that. Um, Teaching people how to do technical analysis in financial markets, of which I had no idea what that even was. (laughs) So I had to learn it on the job. That's the best kind of job, where you learn it on the spot. But I had worked in pubs. (laughs) I've worked in a garage. Ah. I've worked everywhere. So I've done all sorts of jobs in the meantime. Okay, wonderful. Well, your job today is to teach us all about the crypto market. And on this podcast, we like to make business concepts less intimidating. So we'll treat it like a little bit of a 101 on crypto. Lots of buzzwords out there. So we just want to make this digestible for our listeners. So let's start with the the context of where we are right now. The state of the economy (laughs) is in many ways disarray. So in your own words, how would you describe the state of the overall economy right now? So my view is that we're still paying for the effects of COVID that cause all sorts of problems, like nobody could manufacture anything, nobody could ship anything, planes couldn't go anywhere. And so as COVID starts to ease, people came back out of their houses, back into the office, back to consuming things, and there were no goods to be bought because all the shelves were empty because nothing got manufactured. So that causes huge rise in inflation. Then the next thing, the central banks think, oh my God, inflation, because inflation's pretty bad because most people's wages haven't gone up as much as Mm -hmm. prices have. So everyone feels poorer. So the central banks think, God, we need to do something about this. So that's the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England and all these guys, and they raise interest rates. And that usually slows down the economy. And it has. (laughs) The economy is actually falling off a cliff because they probably Mm over-tightened. So even though things, we kind of know things are bad, The forward-looking stuff that I look at using my kind of macro framework suggests things are going to get really quite ugly Mm -hmm. over the next six to nine months. So that what the Federal Reserve are doing when they raise interest rates is they're taking what's known as liquidity out of the system. So what they're saying to banks and others is we're going to allow you to have less money to use around the system. So that means it's harder for anybody to borrow money. It's got more expensive. Your mortgage has gone up. Your rent's gone up. So everybody stops spending and the economy slows down. And that brings down inflation because there's less demand for goods. But it has other effects as well. Mm -hmm. 
obviously people start becoming unemployed again, which, you know, people were kind of saved a bit by COVID, by the stimulus checks and what happened. But this time around, there's nobody really wants to save them because the Federal Reserve has said, we actually want unemployment to rise. So they mm -hmm. want you to lose your job. So you buy less goods, so the price of goods falls, which is kind of a bit screwy, but that's what they want. And that whole mechanism of the Federal Reserve doing this has unwound a whole bunch of asset prices. So the stock market fell. I think the Nasdaq's down 30% as we're speaking, mm -hmm. and the S&P's down 25%. The bond market collapsed. It's one of the biggest falls in the history of the bond market. Um, housing prices are coming down very fast. The price of oil to the price of commodities has collapsed. The price of cryptocurrencies has collapsed. So it's been a really, really tough nine months in financial markets and for people's savings and investments and potentially mm -hmm. for their jobs too. So why has the price of crypto crashed specifically? And maybe provide some context on how cryptocurrencies historically have moved given the types of inflation or the rate of inflation we're seeing now, given how the stock market is moving now, given the broader context, why we're seeing this crash in crypto. So crypto is a function of two things, technological adoption and the macro, the, the liquidity that the central mm -hmm. banks are providing. Those two things are the key drivers. So if you zoom out of a log chart of crypto that everybody always tells you to do, you can basically see things like Bitcoin go up, just up over time and a lot, up a lot, but it's very volatile. You get these kind of big ups and downs. So the question is, is what drives those, the big up and then what drives the ups and downs? The big up is driven by the adoption of technology. There's now 300 million people using cryptocurrencies or investing in cryptocurrencies. It's growing at about 100% a year or so. It's the fastest adoption of any technology the world has ever seen. So people are adopting this twice the speed of the internet. That's why it's been so profitable, but it's also very volatile. And it's very volatile because when the central banks remove liquidity, which they've done in 2013, 2015, and various other points, cryptocurrency collapses because there's less money around for people. And this particular example, what's just happened over the last year, is to do with the fact that most investors in crypto are actually retail investors, mm -hmm. and they dollar cost average. So they put in some of their paycheck every month. Now, the issue is if your paycheck's gone down, in purchasing power terms, you have less money to invest. So suddenly, cryptocurrencies are less active, the networks are less active, and the price has gone down. So does that change the long-term picture of the adoption of blockchain technology? Well, when you look at it and you see everybody from Nike to Gucci to um, Ticketmaster, you name it, all using blockchain technology, it's not going away. We're just in this period where it looks pretty ugly and feels pretty ugly. So there isn't anything fundamentally concerning about crypto right now. I just want to reiterate, reiterate what you said. This is retail investors, regular people who don't have as much money that they have to spend to invest in crypto. Is that right? That's right. But then if you think of the big financial market participants that we've been waiting for to enter the market, some of them have. So these are the big pension funds and hedge funds and others. They're also struggling from lack of liquidity because their portfolios are going down from what the Federal Reserve are doing. So they have less money to put into crypto. So I spend a lot of time speaking to these big institutions and they're all ready to get involved, but they just don't have the cash right now. Much like we don't have the cash because everybody's feeling the pinch. So if everybody's feeling the pinch, 
it's not going to drive up the price. But once this situation eases, it'll start driving up the price. Now, there's another piece of magic that happens with crypto is crypto doesn't do well in inflation because of the reasons I said. But when the central banks start printing more dollars or euros or pounds or yen or whatever it is, that's called debasement of the currency, quantitative easing. And that is when crypto does really well. Mm. So one of the reasons I've been very closely following the prices in crypto recently is because as we start getting a worse and worse economy, we know eventually rate rises will give way to rate uh, rate rises will give way to rate cuts. Mm-hmm. Quantitative tightening will go to quantitative easing. And mm-hmm. those conditions are literally perfect for cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. And you can see the markets are trying to test this out now. They've been basing for a while since June, mainly, as they start to watch the economy start slowing down dramatically and expecting the Federal Reserve to change course. Let's back up a little bit. You mentioned that the adoption of crypto blockchain tech or the infrastructure around cryptocurrencies has been adopted faster than any other tech we've seen. Why is that? What's your hypothesis as to you know the, yeah, the rapidity with which it's adopted? So there's, there's two reasons. One, I think it resonates with people that it is a different answer to the financial mess that we live in. This hugely indebted economies driven by central banks and government policies, and people want a different way out. So it resonates as a narrative to people. But what's super powerful about crypto versus almost anything else is the fact um, of how it works with behavioral economics, because token systems are incentive systems by nature. So to explain to you in a simpler level, Facebook is a viral set of products, whether it's, you know, Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. But we as users get to use those things but we don't get any rewards except connecting with our friends or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the shareholders got rich as the network grew. So three, three and a half billion people use Facebook technology right now. Mm -hmm. But with crypto, it's like we'd all been given Facebook shares. So imagine if every time you logged into Facebook or use Facebook, you got shares. Mm -hmm. So if you own part of the network, well, what are you going to do? You're going to tell everybody about it. Which is why you get this kind of weird world of everybody shilling cryptos, because it increases the size of the network and therefore the value goes up. So it's viral by nature. It's kind of designed to be viral. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult to stop because of the human psyche behind it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is the actual utility of cryptocurrencies as it stands now, whether it's the ability to transact, um, other use cases, and what do you see as the main use case for crypto in the next decade or so? So crypto breaks down to a whole bunch of different things. So you've got at one level with Bitcoin, which is like an asset that the central banks and the governments can't mess around with. Okay, Mm -hmm. so therefore, over time, it should maintain its value. Now, it's very volatile still because it's still early in its adoption. 
But the, it was the advent of Ethereum and the smart contract that was the big game changer. Because almost everything we do, including me coming on this podcast, is a contract. Mm-hmm. And they're main, mainly unique contracts. Everything, whether you buy a ticket for something, whether you go somewhere, whether you... Almost all human activity is some form of contract. Mm-hmm. Now those can go on blockchain and be recorded. So before, if you buy a car, you have to go to the, to the center and register it and do all of this stuff. It's a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. But what happens is, is on blockchain, it can be authenticated by a distributed network of people, which means it's more secure in terms of who confirms that that contract exists and therefore it can be policed. So that opened up to things like decentralized finance, but that opens up even more. And this is the rise of Web3 suddenly is, okay. well, this launches things like NFTs, which are non-fungible contracts, which are essentially uh, non-fungible tokens, which are essentially smart contracts. And those smart contracts allow us to do a number of different things, whether it's attach a picture to it, artwork to it, music to it or some sort of contract itself. So we're seeing concert tickets turn into NFTs. We're starting to see airline tickets turn into NFTs. We'll see hotel bookings turn into NFTs and some form of blockchain. So all of these things, so it's like a rebuild of the financial system from transfer of payments to store of value to finance itself, the borrowing and lending that goes on in markets. But then it's spilled into culture and tokenization of culture and community and brand. And that was the NFTs where we are now. I mean, behind me, I've got my wrecked guy NFT, you can see in the background. That's a, a sign of basically Web3 community, mm-hmm. what I stand for in the space, social identifiers, that all comes here. Also, the other thing that's coming is ID. So identity online is a nightmare right now. We've seen all of the rise of the bots. We've got the rise of AI to deal with, deep fakes. Society is not ready to deal with the scale and speed of which AI is coming at us. Mm-hmm. And deep fakes, both in visual form or audible form, or the creation of content by AI, such as GPT-3 written content, or OpenAI's um, uh, DALI, all of this stuff is terrifying. We don't know who's a human and who's a robot, who's trying to use us and who isn't. So what we can do is put our identity on the blockchain and we can even hide the details, but, but have mm. a proof of the identity. And that allows us to operate in a digital world as we move in towards the metaverse that separates the humans from the bots. Now, also the other thing, if you think about, we got very much taken advantage of by the big Web2 platforms, Google, Facebook, others. And they monetized us while we use their products. But they monetized us in a way that was quite egregious because they gave away our identity and sold it to others. So people monetize us. But once you've got your own identity, you can decide who can monetize you and who not, and how much of the economics you want to share with them. Mm -hmm. So it's going to create a very big difference in the web. And we need this kind of stuff, all of this, for where the web is going, because it's moving so fast. This example you used of putting your identity on the blockchain um, in this world where we see deep fakes and you don't know what's real and what's not, what's AR or not on the internet, what does that mean practically? How, how would one go about doing that at either now or in the future? So right now, you could have a deep fake video image designed by AI that says, a politician says, 
Florida's been destroyed by this hurricane that's going through as we speak today, and everybody's going to die. Now, if you put that on Twitter, you would see Joe Biden saying this mm -hmm. in his voice, mm -hmm. and you could not distinguish it from the, the original. So what happens if they politicians use it, we get Joe Biden to say, we're going to send a nuclear warhead to Russia? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. But how will you, I, I guess what I'm trying to understand is just functionally speaking, how would we be able to identify via so, blockchain tech what actually, who actually is Joe Biden, who actually is Norali? So everything gets authenticated and proven by, so if you, if a Joe Biden makes a speech and it's videoed by XYZ, let's say the White House, it would then gets put on blockchain to say this is an authenticated original version and you can trace it on chain to say yes, it got authenticated by the White House and then agreed by the distributed ledger. So when every time I look at that video, I can get the token to say this is authenticated and real. Mm -hmm. But if, if I don't have that token, I don't know that's the case. Now, right now, the White House would have to send out a tweet. Now, is the tweet real? We've seen <laughs> yeah. that too. Right. So it, it, it really is a problem at scale that people haven't really thought through. But the moment you can authenticate it on a blockchain, you know what's real and what's not. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Raul, let's get into the practical side of investing in crypto. You've said there's two types of people in the crypto market. There's traders and there's long-term holders. How do you think long-term holders right now should ride out this so-called crypto winter? I know you said, you know, this is not this is not a permanent thing right now. How should long-term holders be thinking about this wave in crypto right now? Well, there's a piece of magic and I alluded to it earlier. We know that the adoption is going up and the adoption of a network drives up price. It's called Metcalfe's law. So here we are at the most oversold levels, almost in history of crypto. Yes, the price move has not been as big as it was in earlier stages, but the, the, the levels of how oversold it is are enormous. So here we are looking at this saying, okay, it's been driven by the macro. It's been driven by the central banks, liquidity, inflation. And our job is to look forward the next two years, three years, five years, and say, is this current state of affairs going to be permanent or temporary? <laughs> well, the history of economies is the business cycle goes up and down. It's cyclical. So therefore, we're at the cheap levels. We're kind of at key trend lines. And almost every time we get here, the crypto market 10 or 20 X's from here. Now, that's not a guarantee that it does it next time. So your risk reward is highly favorable. And you've got the shifting macro where we're going from maximum pain in the economy to starting to see the central banks change their course and start adding liquidity back because they've broken the economy. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you really should be focused when everybody's scared and everybody's puking their crypto, their ETH and Bitcoin, <laughs> you should be thinking, now's the time to accumulate it. Mm -hmm. And I learned this the hard way. The big lesson, even for me, who's been in financial markets for 30 odd years, is when you've got an asset that trends so strongly and is so volatile, these sell-offs are your friend, unless something fundamentally changes with the story. And we don't see that. You know, we don't see it. it's not being banned by every government. People haven't walked away from it. It's the same with the personal computer, the same with Amazon. Amazon, when it went public, fell 96%. 
and then it and then it went up and then fell at eighty percent and then down and then up and down, and it had the same adoption curve as people adopted the Amazon network. And really, the only person who ever managed to hold on to it was Jeff Bezos, because <laughs> everybody else panicked out all of the time, and he became <laughs> the richest man in the world. He's doing fine, yeah. Yeah. Well, what what would a fundamental change then look like? Uh, we mentioned something like regulation or the central bank gets involved. What what would be a fundamental change to the crypto market? I think it's really hard because it's now so big and it's distributed, so therefore it's decentralized. So we saw that China bans it, market goes down a bit, then nothing mm -hmm. happens. India bans it, unbans it, bans it again, nothing really happens. So it's actually difficult to think what is the existential threat now. Well, the one threat people say is, well, if the, if the global internet is turned off. But again, that's a distributed network. And with Elon right. Musk's Starlink, it's actually harder to do mm -hmm. because these networks of phones and data are now not in sovereign states, they're in space. So it actually becomes really hard to do. So I don't see the existential threat. You can have mm. threats, like the US regulates it, tells everybody Bitcoin is bad, you're not allowed to own it. Much like they banned gold in the 1930s. It didn't stop gold being an asset. It just changes where it's held and who, by whom. Mm -hmm. So I don't see the big existential threat. The one people talk about is quantum computing because cryptography is based around solving a complex mathematical problem. But most of the new stuff, and even Ethereum now, is proof of stake. So you're not solving mathematical formulas of which quantum computing. So that, that would be an existential threat for Bitcoin. Now, again, most people understand the threat, so it's not a black swan. If you understand mm -hmm. the threat, there's tons of smart people in the space. So they're working on mm -hmm. you know, quantum proofing various protocols. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, Raul, let's talk about how you pick between different cryptocurrencies. Um, you've been quoted as being bullish on Sol, which is the native token of the Solana blockchain, which claims to be the fa fastest blockchain in the world. And you've said that it will outperform Ethereum. What are you basing that off of? And more generally, what makes one cryptocurrency better than another one? Um, the better is a subjective thing. You know, it depends what you want to use it for. So Bitcoin not being the fastest, cheapest is not a problem because it's more decentralized. So people want that element. So different people want different elements. All I look at is break it down. What drives price? Price is driven by Metcalfe's law. Metcalfe's law is how you value a network. It's the number of people on the network and the number of connections between them. So why I got very bullish on Ethereum is I could see that people were building a lot on Ethereum and the Ethereum user base was growing fast as a rate of change. Mm -hmm. It was earlier in its adoption and therefore the price goes more exponential earlier on. Because when you go from one, peop one person to 50, that's a 50x increase. Mm -hmm. When you go from 50 to 100, it's a doubling, right? So that's what drives the value of these things. So I, I was very, very bullish Ethereum and I still am, it's still the majority of my investments. But Solana, I noticed that 
a fast blockchain is going to capture different use cases where we really need speed and cheapness. And Solana also has been focused on the kind of mass adoption stuff. So they got NFTs and they did quite well from NFTs, but I see conversations that they have and what they're working on. You know, these are the guys who built a phone. So they're thinking of consumer adoption. Mm-hmm. Well, other chains like Avalanche might be looking at financial system adoption. So I think consumer adoption, because there's a lot of consumers out there, and I think that if the trend of adoption for, for crypto continues as it is, we'll have a billion users by 2024, and we'll have three billion users by, by the end of the decade, three or four billion users. So that means that chains like Solana should do well if they're focusing on that part of the market. I see it's earlier in its cycle because Solana only came out two odd years ago. And so therefore, if I'm right, and it's an if, then we should see it outperform because it's earlier in adoption. So it's going from the 1 to 50 and not the 50 to 100. Mm -hmm. Um, And it should see a huge growth in its network. Now, I may be wrong. It may be another chain that catches the world's attention. But Solana feels like a decent bet. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't bet my house on it. <laughs> so I've been advised by my financial advisor to put at least a little bit of money in Bitcoin because there is a risk to missing out on the potential upside. So for our listeners out there who are new to, to crypto generally, even NFTs, I guess, if you want to dabble because you don't want to miss out on the upside, but let's say you're pretty risk averse, what is a prudent way to begin? Where do you start? You're going to have to open your own Coinbase wallet or FTX wallet or whatever it is, Kraken, any of the exchanges and buy some. Now you can buy it from your PayPal account. That's how I got my sister-in-law in. I'm like, here's your PayPal Very account, easy. do this. <laughs> yeah. Then you need to decide, okay, how risk averse am I? Usually if you're young and you're not saving this money for a specific thing like a house, but you're saving it for your future, mm-hmm. then you can be more aggressive with risk because you have a long time for it to realize the returns you're expecting. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to do it for a house, then don't, for God, goodness sake, hope that Bitcoin's gonna save you for your house deposit, <laughs> right? It's not gonna help. No. <laughs> so that's where you need to think about where am I risk averse? And then you think, okay, how do I, is Bitcoin gonna capture this or not? Or do I need to buy more things? So my suggestion has always been Bitcoin is this kind of safe asset, this kind of OG. Ethereum is the best manifestation that we have today of the broader Web3 big idea. Maybe a balance between those two is a pretty Mm -hmm. straightforward way to start. Mm -hmm. Then once you've got a wallet and you see these things go up and down or in your PayPal account, you'll get a feeling for how does the volatility make me feel? Does it make me feel sick when it falls 50%? Because it will. Do I feel too elated and think I'm a god when it goes up 10x? You will. And you have to learn to manage your emotions. Think about how I want to add to my investments when I want to take money off the table because I can use it for other things. But that's where I'd start. Well, Raul, before we let you go, we do have a segment called Shoot Your Shot. So we'd like to know what is your moonshot idea? This is your biggest dream, your wildest ambition. It could be personal, professional. It's your chance to shoot your shot. We've talked all about investments here. The best single investment you can make is in manifesting your vision of your future self. 
we all work and invest for this vision of our future selves. We're kind of slaves to it. And people go around it the wrong way. The moonshot is to see that vision, look backwards and say, how do I make, how do I make that happen? Mm. And realize that the only point scoring system there is, it's not money, it's not status, it's your quality of life. Mm -hmm. If you align your journey with quality of life, doesn't mean you can't be wildly ambitious, doesn't mean you can't just wanna be in a cottage in you know, Hudson River Valley, it doesn't matter what you want but maintain your quality of life above all things. And that whole journey becomes much easier and it anchors you on what's truly important because money is not the important thing. It's how you live your life. Because there's no point looking back when you're 80 years old and say, well, that was a pretty shitty journey. <laughs> you know, life is a bunch of ups and downs, but uh -huh. if you have a quality of life, this is why I live in the Cayman Islands. This is why I lived in Spain for 10 years because mm -hmm. I really care about what quality of life does. It gives you a really good feeling of security that, hey, if the world went to shit, I still live in the sunshine, I can still go and swim in turquoise waters every day and snorkel, <laughs> that costs zero. That sounds nice. That sounds very nice. Okay, very, very last thing. It's time to play a quick game of bullish or bearish crypto edition. So the following are some lesser known cryptocurrencies. These are sourced from an article on analyticsinsight.net. You might know some of them, you might not. Just base your bullishness or bearishness on just the description of it. Okay, okay. so the first one is Potcoin. As the name suggests, Potcoin refers to a network that empowers the marijuana industry. It's a digital currency that enables customers to buy and sell cannabis products anonymously. It also provides a banking solution that assembles the marijuana businesses and customers on a single peer-to-peer -peer platform, enabling customers from around the world to make transactions. Bullish or bearish on Potcoin? Bearish. Why? <laughs> because it's all about adoption. If nobody's really using that, mm. and what they're trying to do is get around regulation. Mm -hmm. If you get around regulation, somebody's going to come after you. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we are bearish on Potcoin. How about on coins that are generally based on an industry? Is that, are you bearish generally on that? Uh, or it's it, just depend, it depends. It? Like, yeah. Everything sounds amazing, right? But most <laughs> of these things go to zero. That's the dirty <laughs> secret here. Yeah. Okay, next up is Garlic Coin. It claims to be an investor-friendly, decentralized crypto. Its primary focus is based on three aspects, cheap and fast transactions, low barrier to entry, and a massive focus to grow the Garlic Coin community. Sounds like all the all the generic things that you would want in a cryptocurrency, That's right? right. <laughs> Maybe so this is basically a, This is basically a meme coin. And <laughs> meme coins, when the world is um, feeling bullish, they go up a lot. Yeah. And when the world's world's not feeling so good they go to zero so i'm gonna go bullish on garlic bullish. coin great bullish on garlic coin okay next up is denta coin it's a cryptocurrency created for you guessed it dentists by dentists it's a digital coin it's digital coin and blockchain function to serve the global dentist community it aims to help patients and dentists share data medical records and other critical information through its network bullish or bearish on denta coin doesn't need a token bearish <laughs> How would you go about doing that without a token then, just via the blockchain, I guess? Just a database. I mean, we've got medical <laughs> records on databases already. <laughs> yes. 
Okay, amazing. So we are bearish on Denticoin. Okay, last one quickly. It's called Bonger with two Gs. Another crypto that aims to support the cannabis revolution. It's a social project that aids humanity in various aspects as a currency and acts as a funding asset, again, for the marijuana industry. It also provides support to the medical, pharmaceutical, and basic scientific research revolving around cannabis and its uses. Bonger, bullish or bearish? I prefer that to the other one than <laughs> Popcoin. So I'm going to go <laughs> bullish on Bonger because they're trying to do research. They're, you know, they're trying to fund research, other stuff. And they've just said... It's kind of not a use case. It's more like an NFT. It's like, yeah. it's, part, it's just a community token. Yeah. And I, don't mind. I quite like community tokens. Trying to further the cannabis space. Okay, great. That's it, Raul. We're going to leave things there. That was super fun. Thank you for joining us on Business Casual. Not at all. Great to see you. Business Casual. <laughs>